0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Modestway Don are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short we recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Avoiding the Crowd podcast with your host, Maj Don. I'm, I'm the producer. That's it. I just produce. Uh, my name is Robert Kraft. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And uh, welcome to this episode. We have a guest today, and uh, we're going to get right into it. So uh, first things first, Maj, how are we holding up? I'm doing great, up, man. Are, are, are you in a bunker
1: somewhere? I'm in one of those phone booths, yeah. A shared office space. <laughs> I'm doing a little traveling. So uh, we thought about this doing this podcast on the uh, on the go. So I, I wanted to do it, so I found a spot, a nice quiet spot for us here.
0: Nice. Look at that. You know, it's nice. The sound is nice and everything. You know, I like I like I like phone booths. You know, we're gonna have to figure out a way to do phone booths from now on. I like <laughs> this. And well, and I'd also like to welcome our guests today. How rude of me to not do it at the top, but I'm gonna do it now. We got Brandon Baylo, the host of value hive the value hive podcast right yeah correct okay there it is i should know this i was a guest i mean come on actually maj was a guest too you know yeah you both are you both are
2: nice alumni of the show
0: yeah i'm an alumni you hear that Maj? (laughs) we're alumni that's fucking awesome oh shoot i curse but (laughs) that's awesome well brandon it's it's awesome to have you on well first how you doing man what's going on I'm doing
2: well. I'm doing well. I'm uh, also in a shared office space. It's uh, not as uh, intense looking as where Maj is. It's a little more bright. I got sun coming in the room, but I'm doing. I'm doing well. Staying busy.
0: Look, we. This is a big deal. Okay, Brandon finally agreed to be on camera for an interview. All right. This. <laughs> I tried to do this when when he interviewed me. I'm like, dude, come on. We gotta we gotta record face to face. That's how we do things. And yep. uh, we did. But you know, so uh, this is. Uh, if you didn't know what he looked like, this is him. This is Brandon right there. This is me in the flesh. This is, for those listening, uh, you're going to have to watch it on YouTube. But anyways, yeah. the the main, so cut to the chase. What we're talking about today is, uh, you know, Maj wanted to have Brandon on. And of course, I wanted to have him on too, is he was inspired by a, a tweet that he put out recently regarding value traps. So I, I mean, I think we could go on for hours on this topic, maybe days, but we're going to try and condense it into a, you know, a nice episode here. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hide my screen and uh, let the two gents uh, uh, duel it out here. So, Maj, Brandon, take it away, guys. Thanks, hey, Bobby. Thanks,
1: bro. hey, Brandon.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: Good, good. Good to be on this side now.
2: <laughs> on you, finally. See, how you, see how you like it. <laughs> I know I'm a little nervous. Not gonna lie to you.
1: So why, why don't you go? Uh, you know, so um, before we get into value traps and the tweet that kind of attracted my attention, you know, instead of me talking about you, why don't you talk about yourself? You, know, you have a website. You have a podcast. Uh, give us a little background and, uh, and maybe a little background on in your investment style too.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So, uh, you know, first time being being a guest on a podcast, I haven't really, um, I guess, uh, refined my pitch to myself. But what I would say is um, I'm the lead value investor um, and a classical chartist over at MacroOps.com. Uh, and I started a blog called The Market Plunger a few years ago, and I would just pen my investment thoughts down. We would take a uh, you know, ran a paper portfolio did kind of like a faux hedge fund thing and just started scribbling down some ideas, uh, got a Twitter account, started posting some stuff there. And now uh, most of my research is done for Macro Ops. Alex uh, Barrow, he's the founder over there and him and I tag team the research and we try to find asymmetric investment opportunities anywhere in the world, um, any any market cap. So i uh, been doing that since September of 2019 and wanted to start a podcast Uh, It's been almost a year now since I started the podcast and it was just trying to scratch my own itch about wanting to learn from those that I thought were, you know, way better at me in this game, which is uh, a pretty easy hurdle to jump uh, for a lot of these guests. So just, just, just learning and growing, trying to find companies, trying to understand businesses. And when I look back, even from when I started two years ago, it's just amazing um, the progress in the sense of, you know, how I think about business, how I think about valuation. And it's 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 gonna get into our topic of value traps, but even, you know, thinking about how I even start looking at a company and what I want to invest in and what types of businesses I want to invest in. So um, as a general, you know, investment philosophy, you know, I like to invest in businesses where I think they can generate a lot of cash over the next three to five years, and they can reinvest that cash back into the business at high rates of return. Um, we can talk about this later, but I try to avoid uh, commodity type businesses because, <laughs> you know, we'll have, we'll have some examples there and I try to focus on things that I can easily understand, which really narrows, um, my, my, my universe, but at the same time, really focusing on expanding that circle of competence and letting my, uh, natural inclinations and natural thirst for knowledge drive me towards different industries where, where I want to learn over time. Um, so that's, that's kind of the investment thesis in a nutshell there. Um, I do look at micro caps and actually we're going to talk about a stock at the end. That is a micro cap. That's my biggest holding. Uh, and so, you know, I'll kind of let you, let you take it away from there.
1: You weren't kidding when you said that, um, uh, you you'll invest anywhere and uh, and any size. I mean, I remember when we when we first when you first did a pitch on LittleGrapevine.com, you were one of the pitches there. You know, this Polish company out of out of nowhere, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, I, and I, I love that about you that you want to look outside just to, you know large caps and look for some really hidden gems in other areas, uh, countries, you know, market cap sizes. So, and I really um we've had some conversations about smaller companies that we both that I own and we we actually both owned. So I appreciate that you're willing to do that and. And I um, just was really like the way you think. and and then so really today though, the, you know the subject is value traps. And you know basically it's you know, if, if it's too good to be true, sometimes it is too too true to be good true, right? <laughs> yeah, but I came across one of your uh, one of your tweets here, I'll just read it. Um, and it's, sometimes it's hard to avoid value traps. The stock looks so cheap and we feel so lucky to find it. And um, I wouldn't mean you, Brandon. I wrote some thoughts on using yeah. Oma's razor to help distinguish a genuine turnaround from a value trap. And you have a little image there and you talk about good reasons and bad reasons. So why don't you go through, you know, um, what made you think about this thing that you, you just come across it, or was it, was it a thought you had, or were you thinking about it for a while and you list the good reasons and bad reasons and really want to go over that. Maybe you just enumerate them and then we'll get into it a little bit.
2: Yeah, sure. Let me, uh, let me pull up the article real quick, but basically it came up, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'm just sitting there thinking about, you know, how can I, how can I get better and how can I reduce the errors? Because a lot of investing for me isn't necessarily about finding, you know, the next big winner. It's about making sure how can I not screw up, right? It's about, you know, Charlie, Charlie Monders, you know, tell me, tell me where I'm going to die so that I don't go there. And so one of the things is like, okay, how can I find out where I can die and let me make sure that I don't go there. And so the way I'm thinking about that is through the lens of, um, Occam's Razor. And basically, um, you know, this idea of Occam's Razor is if you have a lot of moving parts, like let's say you have this bullish investment thesis and it requires six to seven, maybe even 10 things that have to go right in order for you to make money or in order for the stock to, you know, hit your price target over, over the next three to five years. If you've got that idea, six to 10 things that have to go right versus an idea where you only need a couple things to go right or two or three main drivers to go right, then according to Occam's Razor, you should actually take the idea with the fewer steps in it to get to the end result. And the reason being is it's just creating more robustness within your within your strategy and then even within the individual company. So, you know, we can kind of dive into one of my worst ideas that I like to talk about a bunch is uh, it was called target hospitality th. I don't own it anymore. And uh, basically the thesis was okay, look, you've got this business, it's a, it's a spec and this was specs before they were really cool. So I timed that way wrong, <laughs> but this was, this was a spec in the oil and gas industry, it was a, it was hospitality. It was targeted to, you know, the Delaware basin and basically what the business did is it provided short-term housing for oil and gas uh, employees while they were out there working on the rigs. And so, you know, thought it looked cheap, um, went through the business, did some analysis, but then I realized that. The things I had to go right were things that were out of my control or things that were out of the business's control for instance commodity prices so you know as long as oil stayed at x the business would do well but if oil went underneath you know a certain amount of you know a certain call it x this price here then no matter what the business did it wasn't going to necessarily generate those cash flows and so you had all these steps in this process well okay if oil's here then the business can do this and we need this amount of people at at each basin, and we need the basins to stay occupied for X amount of time, and we need oil to stay at this price. That way, people actually stay there and rent out these hospitality—you um, know, these 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 temporary housing. And so, you had this big complex thing and a lot of moving parts, and it ended up being like a six thousand word write up that I did. It was one of my longest write ups, and there's there's a. Uh, inverse correlation between the amount of time that you spend writing about a company doing a write-up and the uh, estimated results of that company. So for instance, SumZero did a review and they basically said, the longer the write-up, the worse the stock did. And the shorter the write-up, the better the stock did. And so Occam's Razor is really all about that. It's about finding these companies where they're quote unquote, no brainers, where um, you only need one or two things to go right. And the business is going to take off and the stock's going to follow.
1: Excellent. Well, I love I love that. Now, now when you when you're doing that, are you um, so you, you looked at it from the what can go right perspective? You know, how do you? Is there a, you got the what can go wrong perspective too? Is there a is there a way approach from that perspective too? Does he, does he talk yeah. about that? Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the way the way I kind of look at it as what can go what can go wrong with the stock and just trying to figure out if it's a if it's a value trap or not is taking the expectations investing approach where it's okay. What is this? What is what what's the current stock price? And what needs to happen over the next five years, three to five years to actually reflect the current stock price. And so on the downside, it's thinking, okay, you know, worst case scenario or in a bear case scenario, what's this stock price going to be to my estimated value, um, over, over the next five years. And for some of these things too, you also think for the ones that have the simple drivers on the upside, it's also going to be simple drivers on the downside because you're going to say, okay, if this company does, you know, one or two things, right then their stock price is going to take off. The business is going to perform. But inversely, if the business fails to do those two things, then you're also going to experience, you know, that thesis isn't going to play out. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of where you get into the pressure of value traps in the sense of you can take a business, a crappy business that has a lot of moving parts and you can say, oh, well, if X, Y, Z, you know, if one through five goes right, this business is going to do well. But with those businesses, the reason why they're crappy is because all you need is one of those things to go bad. And then the whole thing falls apart. So what I would rather do is say, okay, look, my upside is triggered and catalyzed by one or two things. And then my downside is the inverse of that. So for instance, like an example, like Roku, Um, I'm invested in Roku. Uh, It's a large cap, you know, name, but basically it's like, look, if they can grow their household users and if they can grow the average revenue per household, get more eyeballs in front. Then they can create more advertising dollars, which means more people want to be on the platform, which will make more users. And then you get that effect going. The same thing happens on the downside. If they don't grow their user base, if they don't grow their active users, then that thesis probably isn't going to play out. So that's kind of the way I look at it. there. It's like, I want to find the fewest drivers, even on the downside too, where it's like, okay, really one or two things aren't going to go right. Let me model that out over the next five years to see where the current stock price is. and even you know i want to buy at a point where i'm not really getting any i'm not i'm not paying for any of that growth over the next five years so on the downside it's like okay if this thing happens is the stock price currently is it is is it roughly around that current price mm-hmm. and then that's 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 kind of how i keep diving into that name
1: yeah, actually you know i funny thing is um over time as i was i was became investing and I, I it took me along my journey um i didn't analyze what i was doing you know tr- uh, you know, my, my taking Porsche modems, Porsche modem, what I did for, for years after I invested, obviously, because you got to create a history. But, and then, you know, it took me many years to figure out, you know what, most of my best performing companies had one thing go right that really defined the company. Yep. And, you know, and I struggled with the geo, you know, if I'm writing an article, I, like, oh, I only have three reasons why I like stock. I need, to, I need to make this longer <laughs> because, you know, what are my members paying for? But sometimes the simple stories and the ones that have this this one catalyzing a, a part about the story are, are what I find really makes some of these things really interesting. We call it the big hairy ass fact at geo. You know, can I find that one really thing? And if I can't find it, you know, I really don't love it. I might like the story for some other reason, but I don't love it for this, you know, five-year or 10-year holding maybe. Yeah. And, it's it's you know, it's, it's kind of a similar kind of thinking here, I think, to some degree. You know, one thing is, so I remember, Peter, you know, we have these GARPers, right? Growth reasonable price. And that's kind of where GARP kind of sits because, you know, some things, you know, the, the GARPers don't buy things that look, are too cheap too, because they believe that the, it's too cheap for a reason maybe. You know, when you have really, really low PEs and, you know, really low book values, um, or, or multiples, um, there might be a reason for that. And, you know, what I found is like, you know, these, these value trials can occur along several different you know, parts of a, of a story. For example, if you have a great catalyst, right? We you think you have this great catalyst or two or three, but you've got incredible customer concentration risk. It might not matter. Right. Right. <laughs> unless, unless it's related to that somewhat. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the, the now in the, um, in your, in the tweet you, t- you list some good, you list, um, some things, um, good reasons and bad reasons. Yeah, And why don't you go over those, maybe um, the good reasons first.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So you're kind of referring to that um, little image that I had within within that tweet. So it's basically one way to avoid value traps is just to ask your question, you know, why is a stock being sold? And uh, the person that really hammered this home to me is actually Brad Hathaway from Farview Capital. He was on my podcast uh, a little bit ago. But, you know, it's really, really asking yourself, You know you are in a public market with millions of participants why are you the one like why are you privileged enough to find this company before anybody else and you know what sort of insight do you have that no one else can have and so you just have to ask this question why is the stock being sold and there's good reasons and bad reasons and so good reasons is you know there's forced selling think of uh spinoffs both on um you know a large company spinning off a smaller portion of their business and the existing shareholders don't really want to buy. Um, and it's not part of, you know, their core strategy, or you have institutions that just can't hold that, you know, micro cap or small cap spin-off due to their investment mandate. Or you can also have institutions that sell because of let's say liquidity reasons, like you saw in March and April with, um, the preferred stocks. Like, I don't know if you tracked any of the preferred stocks, but I remember, um, talking to Andrew Walker over at Wrangley, a Rangeley capital. And there was some crazy prices on these preferreds because you had one big preferred stock, um, you know, uh, institution that had to sell for, 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 for liquidity reasons. And so you've got that. And then you also have what I call good co bad co dynamics and, uh, the person that really hammered this home to me was Matt Sweeney over at Laughing um, Laughing Water Capital, and basically, it's the, it's 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 this idea that you have this business that has two operating segments. One of them is really good, and one of them is really bad. So let's say the really good business. Let's say they make toothpaste, and they have high margins, high returns on capital. They're earning two dollars per share, but then they also have a toothbrush business that sucks, that's losing a dollar per share, and so collectively on a consolidated basis, you're going to see that this company's only earning $1. And if you dive deeper, you can say, oh, look, well, they've got this really good business that's earning $2 per share. They've got this crappy business that's losing $1 per share. If management decides to spin off or decides to divest from that crappy business overnight, without anything going on in the market, you have a business that just went from $1 per share of earnings to $2 per share of earnings. So that's a good reason for a stock to be sold. third reason is a one times earning miss. So, um, you know, around around earnings season, you can get these big, crazy swings in stock prices um, from a company missing earnings, whether it's, you know, a few cents or, you know, even even if it's a big miss, um, sometimes you can get a stock that falls really fast and really far. And if you can say, you know what, hey, look, looking out three to five years, is this one earnings miss is the reason for this earnings miss affecting its long-term potential to generate cash flows. And if it's not, then that becomes an opportunity. And and then that becomes a good reason um, for the stock to sell. And then another reason, kind of like what you mentioned earlier, like looking at the Polish markets and stuff, the underfished areas of the markets. So this is, you know, Poland, Italy, uh, Africa, the Middle East, like a lot of places where investors aren't searching for ideas. Sometimes stocks are being sold there simply because no one's buying them. There's really not a market for them or they're thinly traded and you have an individual investor that holds a good amount. And for whatever reason, they have to sell. It could even be personal. Um, so that's that's another reason there. And then the last reason, when I say last, I just mean last on this list. There's obviously more to this, but optically high debt burden. And when I say optically high, what I mean is there could be a company that's got you know long-term debt on the balance sheet that looks big. But then when you dive into it, You see that it's you know covenants are are pretty relaxed in the sense of you know if it generates you know less ebitda let's say it's a cyclical business that has pretty relaxed covenants on its debt where you know it doesn't have to hold a certain ebitda um ebitda to net debt margin and it's really low interest and um you know they'll be actually be able to pay that off fairly easily then that's something that you can take advantage of too because sometimes people screen just purely on a net debt basis they don't want to see any debt and so those can present opportunities. And then moving on to kind of the bad reasons, and you ask yourself, okay, why is a stock being sold?
1: Can I can I can just I slip in there for a second,
2: real yeah, quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I got I got to take a drink, anyways.
1: <laughs> I love this list. I mean, you know, what I like about it, you just it's it's defining where a lot of multi-baggers are found, but it's also there's some short-term opportunities in these things too. You're talking about mm-hmm. being how you want to look at them. Um, you know, a lot of these things are that you're talking about can have a temporary, you know, um, um, decreased leads to a temporary decrease in the stock price, you know, and if you're even a shorter term investor that wants to invest on fundamentals and make money in the short term around your longer term portfolio, mm-hmm. I mean, things that you talked to are, are, are great stuff. But I'm wondering, you know, when you're, you know, you said you, you know, you, that you invest in wire caps across the whole spectrum there. Do you find a good, uh, um, a good amount of these things in the larger cap stocks or are you are you mainly finding these in the smaller capitalized companies?
2: So I mainly find these in the smaller cap, but I will say if you go out and you look X us, and if you look at these developing nations, you know, particularly in Europe and stuff, I think, um, Aaron idol, um, Eidelheit just wrote a post about how value is alive and well, if you look outside the us, even in these larger cap names. So I think, I think you can, you can still find this stuff, but at the same time, more, I guess I would say more of these dynamics are leveraged. Two micro caps, where if there's forced selling, it's probably going to be exacerbated in the micro cap space than in the larger cap space, or if there's a one times earnings earnings miss because of the liquidity effect, right? So you could have one major shareholder own a micro cap stock. And if they have one earnings miss, for whatever reason, that major shareholder could just sell. Or if he, you know, just has a big portion of his net worth in the company and the stock's done well and he just decides to sell because he wants to buy another house or, you know, send his kids to college or something, that could affect the stock price more than a larger cap name, again, due to um, liquidity. But at the same time, you have to think, especially in the spinoff area, um, international spinoffs is something that I want to get better at because recently the U.S. spinoff market hasn't really done well. In fact, it's kind of been trash over the last year and a half to two years. But one of these things is, you know, you look at these international spinoffs, you have less competition looking at these names, but you still have the same dynamics of the forced sell-off. And so it's kind of an interesting area where you get the benefits of a spinoff in these international waters or these international companies without necessarily the fierce competition of everybody looking at these names right as they spin off.
1: Right. Yeah, and uh, it's, you know, and it's interesting too, when some, one of the things I go through when I'm looking at these nano cap areas and micro cap areas is you find some of these Opportunities that you're talking about and you start asking yourselves, oh, "Well, why hasn't anybody else found this and you get scared? You know I'm saying, right? You're like, right? You like Because you <laughs> don't know it's because they're nano caps or because there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, something on this on the particular list that you uh, mentioned here, one of the things I really liked um, I started doing over the last several years was this forced selling uh, by institutions. Um, yeah, looking for those opportunities and a lot of times you'll find them in some nano cap names, but they're actually big cap companies in, in, in terms of their size. You know like uh, I can remember BLBD was a uh, uh, I think one of one of the leading or maybe the leading school bus manufacturer here in the US. and there's a BXC uh, which
2: um, yeah, that's was, what blue links yeah. yeah
1: which was a you know a building products manufacturer mainly wood products, so lumber. and I'd own both of them and on the, uh, and part of the big reason I had bought the stocks um, were because I knew these um, the story was the story were at the time were pretty decent. BXC had a high debt burden situation, and that's yep. why the stock was depressed, and people didn't believe in the turnaround story necessarily. Um, and what helped them get through the recession in 08 was an investment through Serbius uh, capital. Um, yep. and they had, I think 51% of the company. And Serbius was um, you know, it, it was it was a friendly investor, but um, it was limiting what the company, company could do strategically. And but we knew there was a, a, a certain time where Serbius was gonna have to exit. And you know they they, they had made a um, offer for the company back in 2000, I think eight or nine, which the company re- or maybe ten, which the company rejected at a much um, higher price, than where the stock had been at recently. So we knew they couldn't come back with a pre- going private offer, and the mm-hmm. company was in a better position. This is about 2016 or so. So you know when, when I had first bought the stock, I think it was around eight nine bucks, and you know it, was, it went 10, 11, 12, a couple of years sitting there, and then it went only out to seven, you know, because there was an offering going on and the service was getting out. The service wanted to get out of stock. It was so illiquid that they just had to, They got to, you know, they, they had to, $7 was the price. I think the stock had come down from 12 to 7. We like, this is incredible. So, and then the stock was shot up mm-hmm. like a 40, 50 bucks or close to it. Like in one day after making an acquisition, basically, Serbius sold the stock that freed up management to go do their strategic type of plan. They bought it, you know, and they made an acquisition and the, and the market got pretty optimistic about it. Um, mm-hmm. this, this integration problem the stock came all the way back down, but, was an interesting thing you're talking about. And the same thing kinda of happened with Bluebird where, you know, the PE firm there uh wanted to, you know, take the company private at a what we thought was a low too low of a price. And we wrote about it
2: mm-hmm.
1: as an activist article kind of thing. And yeah. the stock ended up, you know, doing really, really well. They had warrants and that was a situation where they eventually sold the stock and the stock went up because they got out of it. You know,
2: and yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think just to, just to kind of reiterate this point is you have to also keep in mind of why these institutions are selling. So um, the big, the big idea is for selling. It's not enough to see just an institution or a large shareholder sell because sometimes they have more information than you they might be closer to the situation they might know a lot more than you i know mark minervini likes to talk about this where you know institutions really do move markets and he likes to say you know if you've got big selling or big buying it's not your aunt sally that's buying you know a few a few hundred shares here and there like like there's a reason this is happening and you just have to and you just have to figure out the reason and so one of the one of the things i was researching a stock um jumbo on the, uh, ASX JIN. I don't own it. Um, I might, but I don't own it right now. It's an incredible business. It's actually a business that appeared in, um, Connor Haley's like mega list of multi baggers that he released. Mm-hmm. And basically the stock sold off really hard. If you, if you look at the chart, let me just look at it real quick. I got it right up here. So the stock sold off on September 21st, the week of September 21st sold off 18%. And so you look at that and you say, wow, like that's, um, you know like what's what's going on there so you know immediately your mind perks up and you and you you just kind of go there and you say okay you know someone's selling and so on september 21st there's an article that was released that tabcorp holdings sold an 11.6 percent stake in jumbo interactive and so first off you're thinking like okay like what's going on why are they selling is it a fundamental reason that the business is deteriorating that these guys are getting out but it turned out that tabcorp was just selling because it wanted to pay down some existing debt that it had on its debt facilities. And so with that knowledge, like, okay, the reason they're selling isn't because that there's something wrong with the business, it's because of this external factor that they had to deal with. And that's, that's when you get excited. Um, You know, it's sometimes selling for selling or heavy selling just for selling's sake is not the indicator that you should go in and buy because i think that's where you also get involved in these value traps where a lot of value investors say oh it's sold off it's at its 52-week lows i'm gonna come in and i'm gonna see you know and i'm gonna buy or i'm gonna i'm gonna buy this off the 52-week lows because you know it's a it's a contrarian pick right but really i mean really it's not like um you know if if people are selling and it's there's 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 a good reason to sell then you're probably just adding liquidity to the short sellers Ability to take profits, right, and right. so you know, I tweeted I tweeted about this last week, I think. Um, but it's something that I've just started to realize over and over again. It's like I think the real contrarian play, and you know, maybe maybe a way to avoid these value traps. Um, if you if you want to call them that, the way to avoid them is actually for value investors to screen fifty-two week highs and not 52 week lows,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, which is, which is just totally contrary to, you know, kind of how we're taught and kind of what a lot of people think, but it's something that I'm something that I'm meditating on and, and, and considering.
1: That, that's an awesome point, Brandon, because, you know, um, for the first, I was at 20 years mm-hmm. of my career. That's what I did. I mean, I was about trying to, um, you know, I would track the new high list at that time, 12 month 52 week highs, and, you know, look for good value in that. Area. And it's contradictory to what people believe. Like, of course yeah. you can find it there. And it's not the price of the stock, you know, or the, or the charge, you know, and it's, it's it's you know, and, and it's it's the actual business that matters. And you know, our, our job as investors is to find out, you know, why is the stock hitting a high? Is it just pure speculation or is there a reason? Because you know, good things should go up, right?
2: Yeah, well, exactly. And it's almost like it's <laughs> almost like uh, I mean, how do I how do I say this? But it's almost as if the people people like to say or like to point um, at a greater fool's theory for stocks that are going up, but yet they won't apply that same uh, analogy to stocks that are going down. Because sometimes if you buy off the 52 week low list, you could, you could just as easily be playing the greater fool's game just as, you know, just as if you buy stocks that are, that have been going higher and you buy them because you think they can keep going higher everybody at the at the end of the day whether you're buying at the 52-week low or the 52-week high you're buying because you think the stock's going to go higher so why does it matter if it's at the 52-week high or the 52-week low
1: right and it's it's about just analyzing the, the company right so what you're yeah. basically saying is if you're at a high why is the company at a high you know is it is it pure speculation or is there actually really good stuff going on with the company if a stock's near it's low why is that low is it a low because it deserves to be there or these non-fundamental factors that are causing it to um you know be there. And that's that's an awesome way of looking at it. And it wasn't until later I I don't really do a new low new low list that much, but I do it with that mind, you know, that mindset is what can I find here that maybe people are wrong about why they're selling it, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, might, and I might look the short stocks on the highs, you know, why are these stocks hitting highs? But it's, it's just like I find more opportunity personally in the high list over over I've I find most of my a lot of multi backers and it gets and it makes the process really like for even for begin- beginner investors who are trying to find a process to reduce the investing universe to a meaningful level i mean a, a a manageable level yeah it's easy here's the high list go through my you know my my check boxes you know it just makes the really process a lot easier i think
2: yeah well i mean if you if you if you listen to i, I, I hope i don't butcher his last name but i think it's paul andriola yeah. um yeah. So, uh, you know, I listened to his podcast with Toby. It was one of the best podcasts that I've listened to all year um, because <laughs> look at Bobby, he's throwing his hands <laughs> up. Like what the hell, man? But no, I mean, because, because he, 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 he kind of had this mentality. He's like, look, he talked to a guy that made stupid money and he said, what did you do? He said, I just bought all the stocks that were trading, like at a dollar that hit their 52 week highs. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's this idea that, um, you know, the other, the other thing too, is a lot of people start value investing, looking at the 52 week lows, but those are places where you can actually find good shorts is the 52 week low list. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's probably gonna upset like a lot of like hardcore value investors, but I was talking to value stock geek, who's one of the smartest value guys on Twitter. And we were just kind of going back and forth. And, and he knows that I do, um, you know, a lot of charting in my analysis, long-term charting and, You know, we were just kind of going back and forth. And I said, look, if you just applied like a simple momentum factor, just a simple moving average factor, you could very well eliminate your odds of buying these value traps. Because the fact of the matter is, you know, momentum, momentum does matter in the market and you could be right about a name, but the market might not agree with you for, you know, three, five years, like who knows how long. And so if you're, if you're looking at the lows, you're fighting against momentum. And even if you're right, you're still fighting against momentum. And so it's one of these things where, you know, you would rather have momentum on your side than not have momentum on your side. Even if you're a value-based investor, like at the end of the day, you still need the price to go up. You still want that upward momentum. Um, So even, even just, you know, for, for, for beginner investors, just put that simple moving average filter on there. And you'd be amazed how many stocks uh, you avoid that just keep falling by not buying stocks that are below a moving average and making new lows. It's so counterintuitive, but it's something, I mean, it's something you should try. Yeah, and I've I've been I've held health stocks hitting lows, and they keep hitting lows. <laughs> you know you
1: and they keep going lower. And it, it's definitely so true. I know I know that um, you know probably the first twenty years of my of my career. Again, I was doing that, and I was probably a hundred percent of my portfolio return. Those kind of returns, you know, every year for several most of those years, and it was it was all because and I of what you're talking about and. I saw no reason to go outside that to tell you the truth when i try to go outside that momentum approach my returns got a little worse <laughs> i tried to try to say all right well, what am i missing here i want to get these a little earlier and you can of course hmm. um but um i just figured that there's really power momentum and the issue sometimes with these you know stocks that aren't in momentum phase is that even if they're doing fundamentally well but the market's not finding them by the time you know, two, three years, four years passes me that I'm doing so well anymore. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And then in the, the stocks, you know, they, they never made the move. So, um, I think a nice blend of everything is pretty important, but I'm glad you brought that up. And one last thing on the, on the for selling thing is so when you looked at, uh, cause I, when we're doing this podcast, bring, we'd like to teach too and trying and, and, um, get as specific as we can sometimes. Right. And when you talk about the for selling thing, so in, in the Serbius case, or well, we'll I'm going to, with the Bluebird and the, and the blue links, a lot of these private equity firms have a time limit where they have to sell the stock. They can't hold it forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's one of the things you're talking about. So yep. you know, trying to f- try to look at these stocks that maybe have had private equity ownership for a long time. Yeah. And it's getting close to, Hey, you know, our charter says we got to sell this thing at some point is an interesting kind of um, thing there. We also like secondary offerings where there's a big seller getting out. We talked about mm-hmm. it earlier, you know, this just wants to get out for some reason.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. here's here's just 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 to kind of go off of that um, off of that private equity um, idea. There was a company that I invested in a couple of years ago called Construction Partners Road R O A D. I don't own it now, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was it was exactly like you said, Maj, where it was formerly private company involved in um, you know a PE PE business and the PE company, you know, private equity, they took it public and, you know, they were getting paid. So they were cashing out, right. It makes sense. Like they took it public, you know, they don't want it on their books anymore. They bought it, they, you know, brought it, brought it to the market, made a handsome penny. So you had that private equity firm, just selling, selling at the market as soon as, as soon as this thing IPO, which makes sense. You can't blame them. But what's interesting is as you know, while they were selling, You had these directors of the private equity firm that actually bought personally. And so while the private equity firm itself was reducing its stake, reducing its stake to free up capital, maybe to buy another business to try to do the same thing, you had the actual directors and the owners of these PE companies buying the stock personally, joining the board and having skin in the game. And it was, you know, it, it, it ended up being a really great, um, you know, it ended up being a really great deal. The stock sold off in December of 2018 all the way down to like 8 bucks mm-hmm. before making um, you know, highs a year later up to $20. So it rose basically 140%. But, you know, it goes it it goes back to what you said like why did this stock sell? Right. It didn't sell because its business was deteriorating. It sold because of these external factors. A PE company wanted to have a huge profit for their LPs, obviously. Right, right. And so you understand that. And then what you do is you track it and you watch, and so you know this thing was in this this thing was hitting new lows, hit new lows, hit new lows, and then it put in a base between October of 2018 and December of 2018, and then you started to see in the buying come back, and then that's when I was lucky enough to get in and you know wrote it up. But it it just it just goes to show you know finding areas where people are selling for reasons that aren't related to the business. Mm-hmm. Love it, man. Love it.
1: So let's go over to the other side of that now. Your your, your Twitter and um you talk about, uh, the, the bad, right. The, uh, the, the bad reasons for why a stock might be being sold. Right. Or actually the, um, so why don't you talk about that a little bit and go through those bullet points?
2: Yeah. So we'll kind of we'll kind of go through these um one by one. So the first one I'm reading off it is poor acquisition. Second one slip debt uh, slip debt covenants, third one is rising SGNA costs, fourth one is shrinking margins, fifth one is heavy insider selling, the sixth one is asset play falls through, and then I made a seventh one, a little lighthearted uh lighthearted one, a Hindenburg short report. Um, you know, those are those are all bad reasons. But you know, the first one, poor acquisition. You know the data the data shows that it's 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 really hard to create shareholder value when you do these when you do these big acquisition deals. Um, unless unless that's part of your strategy, right? unless unless your strategy is to you know go out and expand and acquire these businesses, but if it's not core to what the business does, or if it's you know this random acquisition where they were growing organically for a long time, and then all of a sudden now they have to start buying these companies to grow inorganically. Um, You know, that's a cause maybe not to rush in and buy, but just say, okay, well, why did they switch from organic growth to inorganic growth? This is not part of their core strategy. It never was, um, you know, something that they said that they were going to do originally. And then slipping debt covenants is obviously not a good one. Uh, I learned this the hard way. I was invested in Garrett Motors uh, GTX. <laughs> and I have to give a shout out to Alex Jones. Um, not that Alex Jones, but my buddy, Alex Jones, uh, who came on my podcast and he's an excellent, excellent analyst. And I was buying Garrett and it was, it was, it was after the spinoff, right? It was, it was, it was actually one of those where it was like, Hey, look, this is forced selling from institutions, P, you know, Honeywell share owners, Didn't want this, you know, small turbocharger business. So I scooped in, I said, oh, let me look at this business. This is interesting. It had optically high debt or so I thought. It had these asbestos liabilities that looked huge on their balance sheet, but it was actually pretty manageable when you looked at the annual payments they had to make. And so I was just going back and forth with Alex over dinner and he just stops at one point. He goes, I think Garrett's a zero. (laughs) And so it was actually, it was actually, you know, one of the, one of the first holdings where I was. I was saying like, you know, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? And it was, it was, it was kind of the first time where someone was like, I think this thing is a zero, which wow. is, is, is funny because, you know, you get into this broader philosophical idea of trying to reduce your own confirmation bias or com- confirmation bias. But I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that this thing is going to be a zero. Uh, but lo and behold, Garrett slipped some debt covenants and, uh, it is now trading GM or GTXMQ. The Q. So, yep. <laughs> so uh, I was <laughs> I was I was lucky enough to get out of that thing before before it all went down. But um, you know, it just it's 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 just another personal example of of slipping slipping debt covenants and just kind of paying attention to that because the stock was being sold and here I am thinking like, okay, well, you know, it's got all these good reasons, it's got all these interesting attractive qualities to it, but you got it. You got to play that devil's advocate with yourself. So there was that one. And then rising SG&A costs, um, you know, this one, you don't necessarily want to see um, over time, especially if the business isn't growing revenue. So if you see rising SGNA costs, you got to ask yourself, why uh, are management paying themselves higher salaries, even though they're not delivering on revenue growth? Um, are they spending, um, you know, money on stupid things that don't actually uh, improve the fundamentals of the business? So obviously you're going to have maybe some sg costs rising over time as the business grows but you want to see that in lockstep with the actual performance on the top line of the business Um, so if you see revenue growth start to decline but yet sgna costs are exploding dig into the financial See, see see, see what that is is management paying themselves too much are they are they um you know doing doing uh not ideal things with 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 their cash on that end Mm -hmm. and then that goes right into shrinking margins um you really want to get to the fundamental unit economics of a business. And the best way to find that is, is, is looking at gross margins and operating margins and gro- gross margins in particular, because operating margins can be, um, you know, marred by short-term issues. Like if a business is reinvesting a lot of their money back into the business, they might have operating losses. Um, but really, really looking at the gross margins, like does this business actually make money? Um, does, does this business actually produce decent gross margin and you will avoid a lot of value traps by just not investing in companies that have shrinking margins Mm -hmm. but again you always have to play play the caveat like look at the general industry is this an industry where it's actually a low margin business and that low margin is a competitive advantage um so you know think of think of capital intensive businesses things like that where a low margin keeps competition at bay there's not people coming in, trying to take your margin because you're making, you know, five, 6% gross margin, one, 2% operating margin. So, you know, keep that, keep that in mind when looking at things, um, does the gross margin match what you would expect for that industry? And is that gross margin growing or shrinking over time? Mm -hmm. And then heavy insider selling. So this is one that I'm just, tough one one though, right? Because it's, it's (laughs) It's, 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 it's so tough. And I put that on there and a part of me was like, well, that's not like, it's bad. Yes. But there's so many reasons why someone could be selling a stock. Um, like I said, as, Peter, be, as Peter
1: Lynch says, you know, he's like, there's one reason they buy and many reasons they sell. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. So for instance, like there is a holding, um, that I have that we have at Macro Ops. It's, um, it's Cardlytics CDLX and, we've just watched this stock get sold by the insiders for months it's had heavy insider selling heavy insider selling and we just never understood why and you know this is this is the one reason that i have the most trouble codifying if that makes sense mm-hmm. so the other things you can you can justify like oh you know this business had 30% margins it shrunk down to 15 10% margins i don't really want to be in that type of business but do I want to? You know, it's 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 harder to make that decision when I have a business that meets all of that criteria, and yet I see insider selling. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I wish I wish I could tell you, Maj, that I've got this like great bulletproof strategy for deciphering what is good selling versus bad selling, but I don't, um, and I don't know if I ever will. And so, it's you know, it's 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 one of those things where you just try to, try to find out as best you can talk to people, see, you know, see if anybody has an idea why they're selling, um, you know, try to, try to reach out to management be like, Hey, you know, like what are, you know, like, what are you trying to do? And they, you know, they might not even be able to tell you like, 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 you know, like, what are they going to say? Like, Oh yeah, I'm selling because we're about to post negative, you know, 50% year over year growth. Like, Oh, okay. Well, you can't tell me that. (laughs) So, so, you know, that's, that, that's the one Reason where I just really struggle, um, and if anybody's listening to this that has any better ideas, um, which you know it's probably easy to have a better idea than what I just uh, well, threw it, up it, there.
1: It's tough, man. You're right. That, that part of it, I always I struggled with it for a long time, and I I get mad a lot of times. I see instead of selling my stock, but now I just I calm down a little bit, and well, you know, especially in the smaller company space, because these CEOs are young, you know. Well, they're not, you know, they're still been growing the company, putting their heart, you know, their sweat into it, the blood, tears, and you know, the opportunity to take some money. They do it. You know, maybe they might be building a house. You know, kids going to college. All these little small. Things. I know there were a couple of stocks. You know, I had the the, the daughter just wanted to sell some stock.
2: I know, and it's and it's and it's and it's, and and it's it, so it funny. Was,
1: and it was like, all right, well, I guess, and then it turned out being right. You know, and there wasn't nothing to be worried about. But it's the hardest thing I've had to deal with is like, when is a, when is insider selling a, a, a red flag? And sometimes you can look at past kind of like performance of the stock, depending on you know which insider is selling you know, um, if there's a pattern there, but yeah, I'm with you on that one. It's tough, man.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's even, it's even harder too, when the business is performing because you can make that, you can, you can, you can make that logical conclusion. If the business is deteriorating and you see insider selling, it's easier to make that jump. Like, okay, they're probably selling because of the business, but as an, as investors and as capital allocators, it's hard for us to step inside their shoes as the operator and say, you know, why, why, why would you sell? Because you're tied to this idea that the stock is worth X percent more than it currently is right now. Mm -hmm. So that whole thinking and your whole, your whole idea of why this person is selling is through that lens of what are you doing? This thing can grow at 25, 30% for the next five years. Why aren't you buying? Why are you selling? And it gets back to what you said, like, well, maybe he's got, Something he's got to pay for. Like maybe, maybe, maybe he's got like a costly divorce and the wife takes half of the shares and he's got to sell it from his personal account. Like,
1: which i going, yes, you're right. Which yeah. I see, you know, I see one of my stocks I own right now. Oh, really?
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's fine.
1: Yeah. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I may, maybe if there's some kind of study to run between like selling and maybe some ratios on the balance sheet and income statement to kind of give us clues, I don't know if that would work,
2: but. I mean, I wonder. I wonder if there's a way to uh, correlate between insider sales and some fundamental aspect of the business. So you right. can. You, so basically, you can say like, okay, when this person was selling, was the business improving? And then during that snapshot in time, then say, okay, then how did the business do after that? Right. Versus where when they were selling, and let's say the business was deteriorating. Like maybe, like you know, maybe it's maybe it's insider sales. Tied to gross margin or insider sales tied to EBIT margin or something like that, and then track that. I mean, that 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 might be interesting. Um, or
1: maybe maybe insider sales um, in, in re- relation to how long this has been doing well, right?
2: Like mm-hmm. how, how
1: how much of a growth cycle they've been in? Yeah, yep. that, that'd be a would be a really awesome study. We should definitely look into that one. Thank you for thank you for offering to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so go ahead. So go keep going that list there. Sorry. Yeah. So
2: then, so, so, so the other one is asset play falls through right. and, um, it was shoot, uh, Andrew and Jeff over at focus compound. Uh, they, 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 they always talk about how like Andrew, Andrew hates, uh, asset plays, some of the, you know, some, some of the part stories, because a lot of the times the deal doesn't work. And mm-hmm. so, um, this is, this is just kind of an ode to that where, If, you know, if your whole thesis is based on the company selling something or liquidating something and then getting that cash and then returning that cash to shareholders, um, you know, that's, that's, that's not necessarily, you know, that's. That's a bad reason why the stock's being sold, because that means that it fell through and you're out of options. And if mm-hmm. you're, it go, you know, goes back to this whole Occam's Razor thing, where let's say you bought this stock, and the one reason you bought it, let's say the one, one of the two reasons, is because you thought that this thing was being sold. Like let's say it's a company that has one operating segment, but yet has like some sort of real estate, and its plan over time was to sell off that real estate and then return that back to shareholders and like this big cash dividend distribution. And let's say that falls through. Well, then that falling through completely destroys your bull thesis. Right. And so then you can understand why the stock's being sold. So that's why, you know, you, I, that's why I really, really try not to look at asset plays. Um, It's some of the parts stories I'm getting better at not looking at because it's just, it's just so hard. Um, And it's just, you know, you're, you're, once again, you're relying on these extraneous things that may or may not happen. And if you don't have any influence in the business, it doesn't matter if I write a blog post on macro ops saying like, oh, check out this company, if they just divested. And if you do some of the parts, they're worth 16 bucks a share. They're trading at $5 a share. It's like, no one really cares what I think. Like if I, if I have. A seat on the board, if I've got five to seven percent, or you know, if I'm Connor Haley that shoots the lights out and never misses, then yeah, you know, people might care, but um, those those stories are hard, right? Because then you're betting on something that isn't the fundamentals of the business itself.
1: Yeah, those asset plays, I've, I've I thought our time should be like put you know, putting on top if they happen, they happen, but you know, maybe they complement right. what's going on, so right,
2: when that happens, all right, but it's not the crux of the story, right? And I think right, because then you right- have to. Was was gonna say? Because then you have to assign like a low probability expected value from that thing. So the expected value might be high, but you have to you know weight that appropriately to the odds of that actually happening. Absolutely, yeah.
1: One of my, I mean, I, I had a stock I was holding recently because I thought you know my, it was it was it was basically stock was going through its growth cycle and um you know, I thought getting maybe to a point where they couldn't grow some of the core as well and we thought it might be a good time to sell the company. And uh, the company was all for that, that seemed. And all of a sudden, overnight, well, we we want to add another product to our portfolio. It's going to make it more grow, you know, give it a better growth spurt. Like, here we go. Here right. we go. And now I'm stuck, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. in this kind of purgatory. So I'm I'm going through that with one of my holdings now. What do I do? Do I keep it now, and do I trust that they can grow? Or now my thesis is a little bit different now, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's you know, it's kind of actually trading above where I thought the stock would get acquired. So what do I do? And now I'm getting greedy
2: well yeah i mean it also it also goes back to the idea of portfolio management and then and then position sizing right because if you if you if, if you if you size a position like that let's say it's a low probability event that you need some sort of asset play to happen in order for you to get you know that pop or that catalyst if you weigh that in your portfolio you know uh you know ideally then you don't have to worry about it if it if, right. it if it if it if it fails, you're fine. If it goes well, you know, hey, it's kind of like a call option where it's one percent of your portfolio. Boom, you know, it pops. You make four or five percent, um, and then and then and then you move on. The danger happens when you get into you know misallocation of your of your position sizing, and now you know one of your larger bets is based on how management feels about some sort of asset sale.
1: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I so I did I did sell, end up selling two thirds of the position, so I have hopefully right sized it. So. Was well, it? We're in trouble. All right. So, 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 so you're, and you have now you have something called the Hindenburg
2: report. Actually, he had a report today. I don't know if you saw it. I did not. I did not. But every time he, every time, every time he releases a report, actually, it's it's all it's always the night before, right? Because they tease you. They're like, so tomorrow we're releasing a report <laughs> yeah. on a company that we believe is a total fraud. And I'm just sitting there like, God, please not don't be one be of my holdings. <laughs> <laughs> like God, please no. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't see that they reported today. But you know, it's also it's also one of those things where if a company like let's say Hindenburg or something like that does 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 a short report, that doesn't mean you're wrong, right? That doesn't that doesn't mean that your analysis that you did was wrong. But what it does mean is that you really need to understand their side of the story and you really need to see why they think it's a fraud. Because um, one of the things that 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 I just totally admire about short sellers is the amount of work that they put in. Uh, to these reports if you write a long report not that not that you shouldn't you know go in depth and 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 have 20 to 30 pages of knowledge up inside your head but when you're writing a short report you have to really be an investigative journalist and present all the facts and present all the reasons why you're saying that this company is a short uh, because it's so against you know the nature of the market um, and you know it's just it's just so against, how people normally think about stocks. People are naturally optimistic. They think stocks are going to go up over time. So I really respect the shorts and how they put out these detailed reports. So, you know, definitely take note. For instance, um, Celsius, C E L H, that's been one that's super popular right now. I well. used to own it. I don't own it anymore. I actually sold it a couple of weeks before uh, the short report came out. And, you know, you've got this, you've got this battle between the longs and the shorts going on and it's, you know, the stock sold off, but it didn't really sell off super hard um, like you would expect after, after a major short report. But it's just, it's just one of those things where if it, if it comes out and happens to be a name that you own, really take that to consideration um, and have, you know, have the humility to say, you know what, maybe they're right or maybe they're wrong, but at the same time, that's, it's just, it's not a great reason for a stock um to you know to be selling because somebody out there has devoted enough time energy and money to think that this thing is worth way less than what you probably think it's worth
1: right right sure I mean, that, it, but you know that's another tough one too though because you know the, the short game has become very diluted now over the years and everyone's you know wants to be a short seller an activist short, you know activist and a lot of the alleged reports are low quality reports out there too so a lot of times, short, you know, it's, it's. I guess it's a reverse value trap on the short selling side. And <laughs> you know, then some of these short sellers will just take a risk factor or take something they haven't understood the, or, you know, this guy's a criminal or whatever it might be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the business itself, you know, might still be good with somebody else managing the company or it just might be, might be fine. I mean, maybe they you don't agree in the way the business is being run ethically mm-hmm. or more, um, but it may still be the right business. And
2: Well, I just, I just don't understand people's affinity for shorting, uh, like direct to consumer fads or um, businesses that have, you know, great leaders and great stories behind them. Uh, For instance, you know, like Celsius has killed it. I saw a tweet the other day that it was like the number two product on Amazon. And like, let's say you're right on the short. Let's say that this thing is actually, you know, not not as valuable as you thought. That still might not matter. I mean, we can oh. we can we can just go back and look at Tesla. Like, sure, you can say that they're a fraud, and you can say all this and all that, but at the end of the day, that story and that stock is tied to one person and it's Elon Musk's vision of the future. Right. And the same thing for Celsius, right? Like, you can you can say like, okay, their European segment's super, um, you know, it's overestimating what they're earning. It's actually a terrible business segment over there, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. But if if they're flying off the shelves and if they're the number 2 seller on Amazon and if the company's growing like crazy you know at a certain point it's like okay you might be right on a factual basis but that doesn't make you right in the market and, and unfortunately and your, and your timing too your timing has got to be right too yeah and so you know that's why that's why again people always think like oh i should look at shorts because they're hitting new highs I just I just think you need to inverse that. Like look for shorts that are hitting new lows and don't short these stocks that are hitting new highs because you've got momentum behind them and there's a reason that these stocks are hitting new highs. It might not be for the fundamentals, but at the same time, that that doesn't matter given a time frame, especially in a short play, because you've got leverage involved and the bigger the position, you know, the worse or the worse it goes against you, the bigger the position. And so you're actually up against a wall.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um so you know, it's just I just I just don't understand why, you know, why people would short these names that are hitting new highs, that are just killing it direct to consumer, growing like crazy, um, even even if they're right. You know, who knows? Like Celsius could explode from here, get acquired by Pepsi for 15 times sales.
1: Yeah, you just don't, you don't, you don't, you, know, you don't know what matches other their sleeves sometimes. Um, and mm-hmm. um, there, there could be like. You know, you could be wrong on you could be wrong on timing, even if it does play out. There's so many there's so many things that could go wrong on that side. You know, when when we were yeah, doing yeah. when we were shorting Geo, uh, when I was we were doing a lot of China shorts, they were hundred percent frauds. You know, there was no that was a lot different than the shorting these days where there may be a company's twenty percent fraudulent or you got creative accounting. It's really tough to dig into it and get investors to even care about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really, you know, and because this is regulators aren't caring about it. So why shouldn't, you know, market care about it? And, uh, yep. you know, that, that kind of was a subject of one of our podcast, I think it was last week on Purple PRPL. You know, when we first started looking at the company as a short, it was potentially, which we didn't end up doing. You know, it's not as good. It ain't and, <laughs> much, and we figured out, Well, this is a short trap because, yeah, you know, we tried talking ourselves into it for a while, you know, and it was a lot of corporate governance issues. But what we really ended up asking ourselves is this, what happens when that's gone? What happens if they can reverse some of these things, right? And they really kind of are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, the corporate governance situation uh, allowed the, comp- the, 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 the founders of the company to make a lot of money, we believe, that the expense of shareholders, but didn't invalidate the business. It just only invalidated how far the business could have went had it not done that. And now they've sold, the, they sold their stock, most of their stock, the founders. They're kind of unwinding some of the – licensing arrangements that restricted their ability to compete or the ability to earn revenue. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to understand that now. So and and it goes to what Elsie said, purple's an incredible brand, right? It's one of those shorting a brand that just the you know everyone the millennials love it. The commercials are great you know, Robinhood loves it. And you say, so, and we said, you know what? We're not, we're, we're not touching. We don't look at the bear ample thesis. We're not, not taking any move on it. We should have bought it, obviously.
2: I mean, tough. it's just, it's just, it's just such a tough game. Yeah. And, and it, and, you know, it goes back to, you know, fish in places where you think um, you can, you can have an edge over time. And to me, shorting those high growth, um, you know, consumer driven brands that love, you know, people, people that love those brands shorting, that is not the game that I want to play uh, mainly because I don't think I'm smart enough to play that game. Um, I think, I think, I think those guys over at Hindenburg and all those people that run those, you know, short, short letters, they're ridiculously smart, but it's a game that I just don't want to play.
1: It's, it's tough because, you know, it's become a game of, you know, three or 5% gains a day, you know, covering your shorts. I mean, it's a pump and dump game reverse, but they're, but you know, but they're, i the pump and dump are all, uh, game is on the long side. Most of our, we will agree, a lot of our scams and you know fraudulent companies. The shorts are actually right on their, a lot, a lot of their stories, but they have to cover because they can't be in these things when, when they when they when these things do rip. So it's a little yep. the reasons why they cover quickly is a little different. But you're yeah. playing for these five, ten percent, you know, drops in these stocks a lot of times. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to me economically for for the most part, but. But so let's get into your, so, and that was a great, I mean, anything else saying on value traps? I think that was, that's how you, that was the last thing on that list. Anything else you want to add before we go into your your little stock pitch here?
2: Yeah. I mean, I just want to say in terms of value traps, um, I just, I just, I just don't know if I like the idea of, 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 of naming it value traps. The more I think about it, I just think that there's good businesses and bad businesses and um, you know, a value trap isn't necessarily Um, You know, you buying a crappy business, uh, a value trap is just you being wrong. And so whether that's on the business analysis side or paying too much. And so when I think of how to avoid value traps, I think of it in terms of, okay, is this a good business? Is this, are the fundamental unit economics of this business good? And a lot of this I got from Connor Haley, uh, over at Alta Fox. He just really, really reiterates and, 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 you know, I spent a lot of time reading his letters and it's just focusing on the individual unit economics. And so if you can understand those and you can say, okay, this is a good business, then that right there reduces your odds of making a bad decision. Obviously you're going to make a lot of bad decisions, but if you're looking in those areas, you're already in a better spot than most people. And, and then second you can,
1: off, and you can overpay and so still be right. You
2: exactly, like, exactly. And so yeah, yeah. And so then and so then the second thing is like, okay, what am I paying for this business? Because you can be right on the unit economics and then be wrong on the price you pay, which is um, I saw Value Stock Geek actually just tweeted this morning, I think it was Home Depot between It was like a 10 year span, but basically they grew earnings at a pretty decent clip. Like they compounded earnings over 10 years at a great clip, but the stock returned 1.2%. And that was because during that same time, the PE went from 43 to 18. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's this two factored thing where it's like, okay, is this business a good business? Check. Yes. Okay. My odds of finding a value trap in air quotes are reduced by X. And then second, am I paying a decent price for this business? Or am I getting this, you know, business for super cheap? And if the answer is yes to that one, then it's like, okay, then your odds of this being a value trap in quotes are very slim. That doesn't mean that things can't happen. And then, you know, the business turns against you and goes bad, but at the end of the day, you know, that's how you should think about value traps is it's not necessarily like, oh, I got trapped. Like, like GameStop people think is a classic value trap. I mean, it is, but it also isn't right. Like there's a reason Burry bought it and it was, you know, super cheap according to, uh, you know, the way, the way, you know, the ways you looked at it, it was, you know, on its lows, but it was riding, you know, it had, it had some positive momentum. And so you just, you just have to think about it that way. It's not value traps. It's whether you're right or wrong. And you base that on the quality of the business and the price you pay for that business.
1: I mean, and I think a really important lesson from that, Brandon, is that, you know, if, if you're a new investor, or getting into this business really quickly, or I mean, um, uh, young Trying to you know figure things out, you're reading the books. You're reading about value investing. Oh, I want to you know get these cheap stocks. If you buy these stocks just based on what you're looking at on the fundamentals, the low PEs, the the, the low you know price of book multiples, these things, that's where the trap could be, right? We haven't done your homework. Mm-hmm. So there's this there's this belief that all undervalued stocks, like you know, there might be um, you know, with with these low valuations are great buys, right? And that's not the mm-hmm. case. You always have to look at the business especially the quality of the business to understand, you know, you know, how can this kind of look, you know, five, 10 years from, not going to be a
2: lot bigger. Um, but yeah, you're right, man. So, um, well, that's, and that's, and that's, and that's kind of thing is like the, 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 more I've studied this, this game and this craft, and the more I've learned from other people um, the more I realized that these PE ratios, they don't matter. Like in the sense of everything, everything that you're paying for is going to happen in the future. And all these things are backward looking. Yeah. And so, it does you no good to anchor yourself to a pe or to an ev EB to ebit if you don't understand the fundamentals of the business and where you think it could be in 5 years um because you can you know like like we're about to go in with 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 one of the businesses that i'm invested in like if a company's losing money or if the company's on the precipice of making money like those va- like those metrics don't make like they don't matter you're right. trading at 500 times earnings because the company just turned profitable so um like if i could go back in time when i started investing um I would, I would, I would wish that I spent more time understanding a business and not really caring what, um, what, what the multiple is. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. what, what, what investors are paying for now, what I want to care about is, is this a good business? And do I think this business is going to be a bigger business and generating more cash flow over the next five years? Like if I just focused on that, I would have avoided target hospitality because you, you know, if you, if you, if you have that time frame, then you're thinking about the durability of a business. You're thinking about its ability to generate cash flow over the next five, 10, 15 years, and you start thinking about terminal values and you start thinking about, you know, okay, is this business actually valuable to its customers? Do its customers love the business? Um, you're not focusing on PEs or EV EB to EBITDA. You're focusing on what you're buying and becoming a part owner in that business and in its economics.
1: Absolutely. And it, it, it forces you away from thinking short term, which is really the, I think, the important point you're really stressing there. I think if you think, if you look at the talk, but um, address the questions that you're talking about: how big, how much bigger can the company be in five, ten years, along with liquidity questions. You kind of really, you know, can they do it without raising too much capital, or you know, how the how did the balance sheet look? If you, you have a balance sheet that can last five, ten years and be a lot, and the, the, and they can be a lot bigger in five, ten years, you know, the valuation, you know, in the next twelve months, who really, you might not really care, but it's, it's reasonable enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, yeah. valuation and price matters to some degree, but for these turnarounds you know like like you said i mean then what do you you have to look out, um things outside that so that's the qualitative and that's where you get a lot of your 10 15 20 baggers is from these companies that aren't making money right now that um look expensive right now that look really cheap 5 years from now at that price so.
2: yeah and burry burry used to talk about in his letters burry's actually i'm the biggest michael burry fanboy he's my I favorite investor that. of all time and In his letters, I don't know if it was his letters or if it was his MSN money, uh, forum articles, but, uh, he had, he had a stat and I don't know if I'm going to get this completely correct, but basically he said 70% of the value of a business is in its ability to generate cash flows seven to 10 years from today. And like, when you just stop and think about that, it's like, oh my gosh, like that's a huge revelation. Um, you know what matters isn't what the company generates this year or even what the company generates next year. Like what matters is what the company generates six, seven, eight years from now. And I'm not saying anything new, right? Like that's like, like, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I was always hesitant to come on a podcast. It's like, what, you know, what do I have to say that other people way smarter than me haven't said before? But I think, I think if I can help one person realize that, um, that like, you know, That's that's what matters. It doesn't matter if a company's trading at five times EBITDA now because that company can trade down to three or two times EBITDA. What matters is the cash that that business can generate in year seven, eight, nine.
1: No, I think it's important to keep on saying Brandon because I mean, we can we can say it and hear it, but it might not click, you know, until in someone's head until you know a certain period of time. So I think it's really important to keep bringing it out. And to me it's probably one of the most important points you've you've made today Um, and and it helps us focus on the understanding of business more when when we do that kind of analysis we know which we're investing in a lot more than looking at a short-term valuation stat or something it really forces us to think more critically
2: and i wish i could say that it was just like super easy for me to apply this to and just say, Oh, that's, you know, all that matters is what happens in five, six years. But I'd be lying if I said that if I saw a stock that I own go down pretty hard, um, you know, over, you know, it's, it's, you know, I wish, I wish I could tell you that I'm like Buffett. I have no screens. I just read 10 K's. I print them out. I go all Andrew Kuhn on everybody and print everything out. Um, you know, I wish, I wish I could tell you that that was the case, but it's not. And the reason why I reiterated that is because it's, you know, really, really it's for myself. When I go back and listen to this, it's like, okay, Brandon, this is really what matters. Um, and for those, you know, for those, I'll just, I'll just give one more little quick shout out to uh, Cliff Soson, who um, is probably the one investor that's influenced my philosophy the most. Um, I did a podcast with him and he's, he's in a podcast with uh, Andrew over at, over at uh, yet another value podcast. Um, he's the best investor that I know on focusing on what matters and that's the five to ten year time frame. Um so I kind of owe all of all of what I'm trying to do. I I I I owe it to listening to him and, and trying to learn from him. We'll
1: make sure everybody you mentioned today will will un- um we'll get a uh which
2: is which is actually gonna be a lot now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe a nice little tweet, but... Bobby Bobby's shaking his head like, dude, these show notes are going to be nuts. <laughs> Have fun Bobby. All right so, so
1: <laughs> you are the producer, you said it. So, um, so Brent, why don't you get into your, why you like a stock in 90 seconds?
0: Show 11. notes. I got to do show notes on this one. <laughs> Come on, Bobby. You.
2: All right. So well, let me, uh, good. let me, let me share my screen here. Cause I know, I know you wanted me to get a little, uh, little slide deck on, on the company here, right. uh, host disabled attendee screen sharing. Bobby, you want to open that up for me real quick?
1: Let's go, Bobby.
2: If not, we can always just roll through it, but let me see.
0: Give me two seconds here, everybody. Yeah, that's fine. Multiple participants can share simultaneously. Do your thing, sir. All right, cool. Let me share. Okay, awesome. At some point, we're, are we going to do the segment I hope to do today, which was uh, you know finding value traps in the upcoming slate of football games?
2: Yeah, yeah, we can do that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, got, I got a little bit left of time on my computer before it dies. We'll see. We'll see, Rob. Okay.
2: All right. All right. So I'll kind of, I'll kind of make this quick here. So uh, the stock that I wanted to do in ninety seconds or less is Ammo Inc. Uh, the ticker is POW, and uh, they are the hottest bullet on the market. Uh, what they do is they make non-incendiary uh, ammunition for uh, law enforcement, retail, and military and defense. And they're really one of the only kinds of bullets uh, that, that, that they produce. They have a patent protection on this technology where when you shoot it, you can you the shooter and the people behind you can see the tracer and it's like this uh, it's this red dart. So for Star Wars fans out there, think of those, you know, Star Wars blasters. That's literally what it looks like. Um, You can, you can, you can look it up. It's super cool and it's non-incendiary. So it doesn't produce heat. So retail um, you know, just regular gun owners that want to go to gun ranges, they can take this stuff there, shoot it um, and see, see, see the tracers themselves. It's a really uh, unique business. Uh, it's growing top line revenue 140% over the last three years. Um, it's slated to hit 50 million dollars in revenue uh, for the end of this year, which is going to be a 240% increase year over year. And they're projecting profitable EBITDA by the second um, by this coming quarter here. So their their accounting is like one year forward. So they're in you know forward year 2021 right now. Um, given, given their technology, they command a premium product in the ammunition market. So the ammunition markets normally dominated by 15 to 20% gross margin products. They can actually charge a 30% margin and get away with it because the technology is so new and there's nothing like it. And they have super fans. So if you look on their reviews and stuff, people love this product. They can't buy, you know, they can't buy more of it. Um, they love it and it trades less than two and a half times its current sales um or its projected you know year end sales if it hits 50 million it's going to be trading less than two and a half times and the founder fred wagenhalls owns 16% of the business he's actually a pretty cool dude he um he ran a business he actually took a company uh, a company public it was a uh, like diecast model for nascar um like memorabilia and stuff. And he sold that business. He grew, you know, he 10X sales and then he sold it off and then he won the lottery in Arizona. (laughs) And, uh, and now, now he's, now he's, you know, running this business and, uh, the company's cranking out product. They're working seven days a week, 24 seven around the clock to fulfill their orders. They have a market cap of about 120 million, give or take, and their order backlog as of a few weeks ago was $80 million. So, um, I think, at the end of the day, this company could get acquired from a bigger player like a Sturm Ruger or a uh, Smith and Wesson, and at two and a half times sales, growing you know over 140 percent over the last three years, uh, we're really excited about it. It's my largest position. Awesome, Brandon. And are they
1: well capitalized? You know, um, they have to, they have to raise money or are they
2: going to? Yep, really- yep, yep. So they're probably going to have to do one more equity raise, um, I believe. Um, They're just, they have so many orders and they bought more equipment. So, you know, they just, they just purchase a bunch of equipment to get everything, you know, to be able to actually fulfill these orders. So I'm expecting either an equity raise, um, or, you know, some sort of debt issuance, but, uh, it should just be like one more equity raise. Um, and then, you know, before they, before they actually reach their, you know, operating scale and can start, and can start growing here, um, share, share dilution is definitely, definitely an issue here. So anything more than one additional equity raise, I would be a little bit suspect.
1: Okay, great. And have they kind of communicated that into the public with? Maybe one more and that's it, or is that your guess?
2: Right? No, that's just that's just kind of what I'm guessing based on uh, their current run rate production and then the cash that they've gotten the you know that they've gotten the bank as of as of last quarter. So um, we'll definitely get more insight when they report next. Um, I'm actually trying to get Wagonhalls on um, on my uh, podcast for my MacroOps collective members, um, so I can ask him just kind of some questions about that as well. But that's what I'm expecting. If we get more equity raises, I mm, I would not be as excited about that.
1: Excellent, excellent.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Brandon. It was awesome having you here. I'm, I'm, i We're going to learn a lot from this podcast. Going back and looking at it, reading it, and <laughs> You get a great uh,
1: job. They're, they're not better than I did in yours for sure. Hundred uh, percent. Well,
2: no, I don't. I don't. I don't think that. I. You know. I hope. I hope people can 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 piece together um, some semblance of 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 insight. But like I said, you know, nothing nothing that I said here is is revolutionary or unique uh, to me. But it's things that I have to keep reiterating to myself because I know that I can fall victim to, um, some of these traps, like some of these value traps, trying to find these good businesses. So, you know, if one or two things I said resonated with somebody, then I guess I did my job here. Well, the more I
1: hear it, you know, from people like you and, you know, other great investors is the more I begin to believe it too. So it took me many, many years to, to get outside the way I used to think and, um, start thinking the way some of these things you're talking about here. So I appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will appreciate it. And we can't assume they. Everyone's heard this stuff before.
2: Um, that's a good point. That's a good point. Something I'm working on. Okay, man. All right, Bobby, we're done. All
0: right. I got, this is like getting really. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Are we done? Are we done showing off yet? Okay. I mean, let's let. You know, I, this is. I don't know. I, this might be the most uh, shout outs I'm gonna have to do in any episode ever to this point. But that's a good thing. You know, I mean that. If there's any indication there to everybody listening, I mean, you know, Brandon does a great job over at the Value High Podcast, and if there's any indication that he actually listens to what the people are saying, I, I I think you heard it today. All right, so uh, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like, actually, some lessons from that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I try to, I try to give
0: credit to where credit's
2: due because there's so many sharp people out there, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's extremely, you know, it's, 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 it's extremely humbling to think. Think that there are people out there that 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 uh, put me in that same bucket because I still think I have so much to learn um, and there's there, there, there's just so much that I don't know. so it's extremely humbling to come on this podcast and you know I appreciate you guys giving me the chance
0: oh, yeah, absolutely all right well real quick before I let anybody go we're gonna do there's this a new segment okay finding value traps in the upcoming football slate. okay I'm going okay. through the schedule right now all right we got Maj's <laughs> team is playing who's pittsburgh playing oh they're playing cleveland see for me i think cleveland is probably the biggest value trap of if you were to bet on cleveland to win this game that is for sure a value trap there at or are are they not i mean are they trading at an all-time high right now They're four yeah 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 because
2: here's the thing bobby it's like almost like are you are you shorting the browns at its 52 week high like
0: you have to ask right that. <laughs> Yeah, are we? <laughs> the, 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 uh, I know, Mahajes.
1: No, <laughs> the Browns—they're never going to lose again. Steelers, but the, but the Browns came off a really, a really big win, you know, this weekend. Right. Um, it was, it was an upset, and you know, a lot was of time was that an
0: upset. I don't know. Colts, I mean, is that, I mean, Philip Rivers, you know, he's, he's got a little – this is his arm. His little noodle arm right here. Yeah,
1: maybe. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But I I, I I thought they'd win that game. I mean, lose that game. But they're looking pretty good, actually, Cleveland. I mean, Ash, um, people forget they that. Have Just coach. They've had a, a pretty good two-year run. So, um, But, look, I think they're coming off a, a little bit of a high there. And Steelers actually didn't, didn't play too good against the Eagles. They've got, they got a label one winning that game. But you know they found a new receiver uh, in in that mix who's really been doing, who uh, really broke out that game. So mm-hmm. I think that you're going to see a Steelers game coming off. Hey, we we're, we're luckily won this game. And we better get our, you know, Cleveland looks pretty good. I think they'll be ready for the game and they're going to win the game pretty okay. easily.
0: Bobby, right. do you know the spread on that game so far? I do not. I, I'm an idiot. I, I told this to Maj like a couple of weeks ago <laughs> that, like, I don't understand spreads very well. So this is just more of like a pick em situation. Well, situation. So, all right, hold on. Maj will get the spreads. But bef- while Maj is getting the spreads, all right, so actually Brandon and I, both our favorite teams, are facing off against each other, the Washington football team and then the Giants. You yeah. know, I feel like this is a, a matchup between two pink – OTC pink listed companies – That are burning cash at an exponential rate uh, without a real product, but maybe are in the Bitcoin space. You know, right? (laughs) I think no. Actually, that would be that. Then you, they might have a little hype to them, and there's literally no hype on them at all, except maybe Washington with their defense. But uh, so okay, so maybe in a dying industry. How about that? Well, I mean, the thing is. If we're if we're if we're thinking about it this way, uh, you've got a good co
2: bad co situation with the Washington football team. You've got exactly. a good co in their defense. Uh, so if they could find a way to spin off that defense, and I could only watch their defense play, specifically their front four <laughs> or their front seven, um, yeah. I think you you know you stick a fifteen x multiple on their front seven and that's an attractive business but yet then you've got the bad co which is the quarterback carousel in a declining industry with shrinking margins and they keep having to do equity raises because they have one quarterback after another they've <laughs> got and the other problem is they have all of these liabilities on the balance sheet because they have to keep paying these quarterbacks that they draft that they don't use. And so you have assets that are now liabilities on the balance sheet that are draining cash and you're not scoring points. So you're not bringing in any revenue. It's, you know, so if they can divest that and only play a defense and I don't have to watch their offense, I mean, 15 X on their defense over the next three to five years, I think you get a pretty decent return.
0: Okay, Brandon, you just earned yourself an invite back literally every week just to do that. That I, okay, Brandon? I did not let Brandon know that we were gonna do this segment and just no, did like that was like that was one of the the best uh, what is it analogies? That was one of the best analogies I think I've heard. Well, here's here's I mean here's 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 kind of the funny thing too that like take everything I say about football
2: and <laughs> do the opposite because I am in a fantasy football league and just for everybody to understand my. Yeah my, my like breadth of knowledge. Well, no, listen, listen, listen to this. I had Chris Carson on my roster, really good, apparently from the Seahawks and he was injured. I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't see that this was going to be just a short-term earnings miss a one week earnings miss. And so what did I do? I sold. I was, I was, I was a forced seller. Didn't even trade him. Right. Didn't even do some sort of asset sale, just sold him. Um, put him up for free agency. Someone picked him up and, you know, he's gone off ever since. And so everything that I say about fantasy football or about football in general, just do the opposite. I'm the Scott Galloway of fantasy football. So just do the opposite and you'll be fine.
0: <laughs> Bro, that is a brutal drop. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. Oof. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> Oh man, I thought you were gonna at least say you traded him. Like, all right, you know, hey, you get some value, like, whatever. No, that's 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 yeah, no, trading him is way too
2: successful. What round did you get him in? Uh, let's see, you're probably gonna love this one. I think I auto picked him, I did the first few picks, and I said, Ah. screw it, this is boring, and just closed my laptop. Mm. Oh, that's too
1: much. I, I haven't played fantasy in four years. Was just too much work. I just got too obsessed with it. I didn't want to lose, and then you just get all these research at three Same. o'clock in the morning.
2: Yeah, Maj, you're not missing much. I mean, I'm in it. I'm in it just for the goodwill of one of my best friends. So
1: I, I like it. I mean, just imagine a matter of like it was. I wasn't making. I was making more money look, looking at my stocks than I was in my my football team where I was losing money every year.
0: You guys are gonna be <laughs> jealous. I won my fantasy basketball league for the first time. And I think 10 years. <laughs> well, I mean, Bobby, that makes sense, though, right? Because that's like looking in Poland microcaps. Like, no one does fantasy basketball. So, dude, I, I'll tell you, I used to be like the only sport I ever did was fantasy baseball. And that okay. was, that literally took up all my time. Because you know you're pick, you're like because you, we had unlimited ad drops too. So you're just picking oh, up picture, you know. So if you get a picture that's pitched twice a week, you're always you know getting. Well, and you better. got 162 games too. So yeah, so it's a mess. But yeah, and then I was doing football, but I just I stuck to. I needed to keep my fix in a little bit, so I t- just started doing basketball. But it's fine. But listen,
1: I, I actually, I actually uh, had, had built a a fantasy football a uh, game software game. I was doing it for two years you know, in development, and I was ready to launch it right when the whole fan duel drafting things blew up.
0: Wow. Oh, no way. Why didn't you do a spec,
1: Maj?
2: Gosh, <laughs> you could have been <laughs> no,
1: they're, they're great. I got to bring you.
2: Maj wouldn't even be on this podcast right now if he did that.
0: <laughs> Yo, speaking of specs, if you guys want, you guys should come on Thursday. We're doing, uh, for the investors' roundtable, we're doing a what the hell is going on with SPACs episode. I don't know enough about SPACs.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm the right guy for that considering my last
0: spec pick went uh minus eighty percent. So <laughs> guess what? You're perfect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's land the plane. Where can everybody go and follow you on social media and, and your website and whatnot? Yeah, Maj, you want to take this first?
1: Oh yeah. So um, so I'm the co-founder of Geo Investing. You can go, go to GeoInvesting.com, find out about our free trial there. Uh, we also have a monthly a monthly trial. Um, follow me on uh, Twitter at Geo Investing. You can follow the company at GeoInvesting also on Twitter. And you can send me an email at Geoinvesting.com. Uh, if you have any questions for us or any podcast ideas you're actually looking for us to do. There you go. Ready?
2: All right. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at MarketPlunger1. Uh, you can also find me online at Macro-Ops.com. Um, we run, um, you know, we're a global macro research shop that dedicates, um, you know, all of our time to finding these really awesome thematic ideas and companies that we think uh, can generate asymmetric returns over the next three to five years. And we also, um, you know, since I'm a guest on a podcast, I guess I can kind of pitch our premium product here. This is, you know, kind of a kind of a first time here, but we've got uh, the Macro Ops Collective, which is a collection of, you know, the world's best uh, world's best traders and investors and people that are just really hungry to learn and get better um and we have premium research uh for them i'm working on getting a collective only podcast where we interview founders and ceos um, of these public companies uh, of our own portfolio holdings and uh so you can go to macro-ops.com forward slash collective to learn more about that Uh, it's an amazing service and uh you know we release it i think probably once a month but space is limited so if you're interested uh, you can shoot me an email brandon uh, at macro yeah,
1: let's let's Love. talk more about that too offline, Brian, and I'll learn learn more about that product and see maybe uh, introduce some of investing members
2: to that. Yeah, yeah, let's do it.
0: All right, dudes. Well, uh, again, I'm your producer on this show, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K Kraft, B O B B Y K K R A F T. You can listen to Avoiding the Crowd. On Podbean at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. You can also watch this on YouTube at youtube.com slash SNNWire. I know Brandon is always impressed by this. So that's why I'm kind of showing off a little bit with him running this off. But uh, look, with that, thank you guys. Brandon, always welcome back on any of the shows. Uh, I'm Gotta get it. you on Planet Microcap too on, at some point. Oh anymore. man, that'd be cheese.
2: I'm, I'm 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 about be to be on the podcast carousel. so I don't know if I'm ready for that, Bobby. Let's go, dude. Oh, come <laughs> hey, on, man. Let's go. Don't,
1: this don't is say it. yes.
0: He's gonna ask you every other week to come
2: on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: don't, tempt don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. Awesome. See you guys. See you guys. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. S N N network and modest Don are not licensed brokers, broker, dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell short cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event, those securities rise in value. If we are long and fall, if we are short, we recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor broker or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.